Hello and welcome to Plattress. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about The Breakup Tour by Emily Wiberly and Austin Sigmund Broca. This was just published in 2024 and full disclosure we did receive a complimentary arc for this review. And full disclosure, we have not read any other books by this uh, uh, authorial duo. We picked this one up because it is explicitly a Taylor Swift romance. That said, I just want to preface this from the very beginning. It is not voyeuristic. It is like inspired by the idea of Taylor Swift's songwriting, not Taylor Swift the person. So yes. other than being an international star who got started in country music and is a female solo act, that's sort of where the explicit parallels to who Taylor Swift is end. Yes. Famous for writing breakup songs. Like, yes, there are elements about her music that are definitely pulled, but this is not like a situation where I felt gross. Like these authors were asking me to imagine actually her life. Yes. Yes. I was going to say, so this isn't a roughing the princess situation. Is that. No, at no point reading this, did I feel personally disgusting? Okay, good, good. I didn't either, but um, I mean, as you may or may not know, listeners, I am not a Swifty. I could probably recognize a few Taylor Swift songs. But uh, not a lot of them. And I was looking at Taylor Swift tickets in Poland and Sweden earlier today, trying to figure out if it was worth flying to Europe to see the Eras tour. <laughs> Look, I have done the same thing with with other musical artists. So, like, I'm not shaming anyone no. who likes Taylor Swift. She's just it's Lane described Taylor Swift once as the voice of a generation. Yes. It's just not my generation. That's all. And it is mine. Yeah. Exactly. Which which is totally fine. Like I just want to be, I just want everyone to know. Like I'm not judging anyone. I think here. it's funny because I think you are coming across as more of a like cultural Luddite than you are. <laughs> right. And I'm coming across as more of a Taylor Swift super fan than I am. Because the reality right. is like I will fly to Europe for very little excuse. Yes. Like, I do really like Taylor Swift, but, like, me flying to Europe to see her concert is not the testament of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Well, so this, okay, okay, here's my story. We were, my husband and I were going to go to France to see his family. Um, We were talking about going in the summer. Then I saw that Radiohead was playing the town, like, right next to where his parents live. We had Mm -hmm. not bought tickets to France. We hadn't bought the plane tickets. We hadn't told his family we were visiting. But I was like, well, I better buy these concert tickets now because they're going to sell out. The mm. plane is not going to sell out, right? Right. So I bought these tickets to see Radiohead. <laughs> and then Julian gets this call. We had we were sharing a phone, sharing a cell phone at the time. And and um it was British Air, it was our credit card company and they're like, "Uh they someone made this purchase for like 100 pounds in Great Britain. Like, did you want this?" And he's like, "No." And I was like, I was like, "Yes, yes, say yes." <laughs> You almost got your Radiohead ticket canceled on you. You almost got my Radiohead ticket canceled. I know. How dare he? But if, I want to be very clear that. that if Taylor Swift tickets were 100 pounds, this would not be a question. They'd be booked. Oh, I know. Of course, this was a, a long time ago. <laughs> you don't have to admit it. It's fine. It was very many. It was many, many years ago. <laughs> All right. So that's sort of our basis. I, I don't think 
additional knowledge of Taylor Swift was necessary for this book at all. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think we're going to come at it from different perspectives so that you can hear whether you are a Taylor Swift fan or whether you're not, Mm -hmm. uh, how you might take the book. So with that, the book jacket. A rising star musician has a second chance at love with an old flame she remembers all too well in this swoony romance from the acclaimed authors of The Roughest Draft. Riley Wan went from a promising singer-songwriter to a superstar overnight, thanks to her breakup song concept album and its unforgettable lead single. When Riley's ex-husband claims the hit song is about him, she does something she hasn't in 10 years and calls Max Harcourt her college boyfriend and the real inspiration for the song of the summer. Max hasn't spoken to Riley since their relationship ended. He's content with managing the retirement home his family owns, but it's not the life he dreamed of filled with music. When Riley asks him to go public as her songwriting muse, He agrees on one condition. He'll join her in her band on tour. As they perform across the country, Max and Riley start to realize that while they hit some wrong notes in the past, their future could hold incredible things. And their rekindled relationship will either last forever or go down in flames. Couple of things. She does not just call him when she wants to go public. She shows up in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and overall, I think this jacket is fine. It sneaks in a couple of Taylor Swift lyrics and title song titles as like little asides. But again, I don't think you lost anything other than Taylor Swift in- inside jokes if you don't know the references. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any of them. So just just so you know. <laughs> if it's if not- I start educating you on all of the Taylor Swift asides throughout this book and summary... This will just be a Lane Lectures Meg episode, so I'm not going to do that. No, no, I don't think you should either. I just, you know, I just want people to know, like, if you also didn't recognize them, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. As usual, we generated a random number between 1 and 50, and then we wrote our own summaries based on that number. And for this episode, we generated the number 45. So it's a nice long one. I will go ahead and go first. Riley and Max were college sweethearts. Since then, she's built her superstar career on exploiting her own pain. Riley doesn't want one specific ex to benefit too, so she convinces Max he should also take advantage of their shared painful past for a little cash. Yeah, it's not her idea for him to make the money for it, but that's basically what ends up happening. I think your summary does what we have said we have come to terms with in the romance novel genre, where it is not factually exactly correct, but it is spiritually exactly correct. Yeah, yeah. I just want, there are some important important character notes that I wanted to to strike mm-hmm. to, to, you know, continue with the musical references. <laughs> All right, what's yours? International country sensation writes about her real life, so obviously she needs to ask her most significant ex in person if she can disclose his existence to the media. He is reluctant until he's willing to be on stage and photographed. So there's that. Here you go. Sounds good. You know. Uh, Trope slain. It's a second Second chance chance romance. That's right. It's also a celebrity romance as you probably gathered. (laughs) And they are on tour together. 
So lots of forced proximity, a little bit of sharing sleeping quarters. Yes. And they're working on a project together. So it's so. kind of a workplace romance. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. This had the structure of a like made for TV romance Christmas movie to me. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, ultimately, he's a small town boy. That small town is Los Angeles, but bear with me. Doing sort of a quaint job. Yes. Running an old folks home and playing piano for them every night. And ultimately, what drives her back to him is that he's like this relic of her past and her origin story. Mm -hmm. And she's returning to that in some ways. And then I think that structure matches a lot of the most basic like Hallmark style movie. I can see that. I mean, for me, honestly, the the biggest, I enjoyed this. I'm going to disclose right here. I wasn't expecting much out of this book. Okay. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected. I think the weakest part of the book for me was Max just in general, because I didn't really understand like why he wanted to have this small town job. Right. I didn't really understand why he had, why this job was so important to him that he had broken up with her years before, right? Uh, he changed his major, did all this stuff. And I was like, okay, like, what was the big dramatic thing that happened? And it really wasn't all that big and dramatic, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and then they don't talk for, you know, 10 years. And then, I mean, you pointed it out. Like, he's a little inconsistent, right? He's like, I don't, I don't want to be... I don't want to be known as your ex. I don't want anyone to know. And then he's like, he's the one who proposes. Well, actually, how about I go on tour with you and I'll play the piano for your hit song that's about me. And knowing that he's doing it to feed the speculation that he was the one that the song is about. I agree with everything you just said. It was not my least favorite thing about the book. Yeah, I, I didn't say it was my least favorite thing. I think it was the weakest point, Fair. if that makes sense. But what my was your least favorite? least favorite, but also potentially weakest, depending on how you interpret that thing about the book, was the way the two of them communicated throughout mm-hmm. the book. Yeah. Um, as Meg just said, they didn't speak for 10 years following their breakup until she just shows up. But even on tour, they both deal with their feelings by not saying what they mean to each other. Mm-hmm. And she's presented as this emotional open book because she's willing to put everything into lyrics, but she doesn't actually say what she wants or what she's looking for and what she's willing to accept. Um, he doesn't seem to have any actual plans, but also just doesn't engage with conversations. Um, and they do go long periods of time without talking during the book. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're well. and <laughs> yes. Every time they stop talking, it's sort of based in misunderstanding. Even when it's right before they stop talking, they have these big emotional conversations that I think is the reader you're supposed to believe gave them clarity. Yeah. So I just, that was the most frustrating thing for me, especially with how the book ended and how quickly their relationship moved thereafter, because yes. I felt like none of that was earned by either of them. I think it's really interesting that you called it a Christmas movie a little bit. And uh, that I'm saying that I felt like he didn't feel like an authentic character. Mm-hmm. I think really what we're both pointing out here is that there were a lot of plot contrivances to get them to where they are. Like this didn't feel authentic, right? I would agree with that entirely. Yeah. And 
I think that there, there were certain things that I, I actually really liked. For example, I really liked her point of view. I really liked how they portray her as in the moment. She's already thinking about how this is going to be in a song. How can I use my feelings to get across to everyone what this is? How she's herself both on stage and in private, like sharing herself with her fans is a part of her persona and a part of her personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was really interesting and complex character complex yeah. characterization on their part. There was this part that happened in the book that I I actually highlighted it, which I was like, wow, I was like, this was really good. They she wrote the song about him. It's this hit, like people love it. It's the best song on the album. They think it's great. And then she gets in touch with him. And when she sees him again for the first time, she is immediately like revising the lyrics in her head. She's like, oh, this isn't, he's not this song that I used to write. Like, oh, this is how I should have written it. This is what it should have done. I I don't know. That to me was, it was really well done in terms of characterization. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I really liked that part. Um, There's another part in the book where she's on tour. It's like the day before their first show. And she actually goes out looking for a one night stand. Yes. Which I thought was really interesting, especially in a romance for the authors to have made that choice for their main character. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way the whole thing went down I thought was really, really interesting. Like you can see in the moment, she's kind of looking for a distraction. She, sure, she wants to have sex, but she's also like, this would make a great song <laughs> all at the right. same time. I don't know. I, I thought it was uh, really well done. And that's the kind of, that was the part of the book that I liked the most. This book had a really good overall concept. Mm-hmm. That was executed all the way through. And it's funny because I told Meg I'm going to be complaining to her about Saltburn and how that was not the case for that movie after we <laughs> record. But I think a lot of the dialogue choices and even her and his internal monologue were very prosy mm-hmm. in a way that I would have been really annoyed by in another book. Mm-hmm. But it just underscored this way that she's always thinking in songs. Exactly. And frankly, the fact that he did it two made their connection feel a little bit more believable i'm not sure if it was the best for his character but it made them more believably relatable to each other in the context of this universe yeah i okay i i normally hate single pov romances this is not a single pov this is dual pov I I don't know if I would have liked it more if it was only from her point of view. I honestly don't know, but I found her perspective much more compelling in this book and much more interesting. I found his perspective, again, very reactive. I totally hear what you're saying, and I agree her point of view was much stronger. I don't think this book would have worked without his point of view because she has such a definitive way of seeing the world. Like yeah. even the fact that she needs to reduce everything that happens to her in some ways down to a sound bite. Yeah. I don't think her perspective would have been very honest. 
I mean, I, I think you're right. And that's why I'm saying, like, I, I honestly, I don't think I would have liked it if it had been a single POV. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just wondering if there's a different way, like if Max's parts had been in third person, for example. Yeah. That might have worked better for me. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, maybe I just didn't like Max. I don't know. I mean, he was fine. He wasn't even like a bad character. I just wasn't as interested in what he was doing and thinking as I was in in uh, Riley. Well, and also because I think I, I struggled to reconcile all of the different decisions he made into a cohesive person. Well, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, the choice to make him the manager of a retirement home and that he and maybe I'm just totally stereotyping like maybe this is a very compelling career choice I don't know but the fact is he he like left his dreams of music without even trying them to go and do this and there wasn't like it wasn't like his dad had a heart attack and he had to fill in you know what I mean right I think what also would have worked for me is he clearly still really loves music and missed it from his life Mm-hmm. and wants more of a creative outlet I would have I think it would have made way more sense to me if he leaves touring with her and is like I want to be a songwriter yes like I want to have direction for my music but the being on stage in front of thousands of fans and being that vulnerable wasn't for me yeah I'm passionate about keeping the retirement home open right maybe the way we connect through this is writing together yeah and yep. like, that's also what he like, but there was nothing. It was like, no, I made the right decision giving everything up. And I'm like, you've created a false dichotomy. And even when the solution to the book was found, that perspective was never found by him. Yeah, yeah. Like the book that, is like, ah, they figured out that they don't have to like the same things. And I'm like, but they do. But they do like the same things, yeah. <laughs> they do. Um, which brings me to the uh, grand gesture that I actually loved I surprised myself even in the moment I was doing I was being very Riley I was like examining my own uh reactions in the moment but I was like wait I was like I'm really liking this I'm like do I like this because it's like pulling on my heartstrings why do I like this and I really really enjoyed that grand gesture at the end I was like okay what was it I was neutral I was Somewhat charmed by the, like, how well he knew her and just how out of character and, like, grand a gesture it was from him. Mm -hmm. While simultaneously being, like, you saw earlier in the book that she is an exacting perfectionist about this tour. And him doing anything to, like, interrupt a big career moment for her because he thinks it's best. I'm not sure if I believe she actually would have appreciated that. Yeah. I don't know. The whole thing was so over the top and so yeah. dramatic that it worked for me and I felt like it worked for the book. Fair. Yeah. Um, just a couple of things I want to touch on before we dive into the rest of our usual structure. One of the things I really liked about this book is you could tell that the women writing it like Taylor Swift. And there were a couple of tongue in cheek references to songs specifically. I didn't pick up on much to her real life, but I picked up on like snippets of song lyrics that sort of made it into text. But there were also a lot of references to what I view as other significant female pop stars. So like um, something happens to Riley backstage. She's like a ex reaches out and communicates to her. And one of the most like infamous stories about Katy Perry is one her, her ex-husband told her he was divorcing her while she was backstage preparing for a show via text. 
So like, I felt like there was minutes of like, minutes. I felt like there was allusions to sort of that, like these men who think they know better, who want to come wreck your career and try to ruin, ruin one of your biggest moments. But mm-hmm. it wasn't a Taylor Swift moment. It was a Katy Perry moment. And there is this country singer, uh, Kelsey Ballerini wrote a concept album called Rolling Up the Welcome Mat that's entirely about her divorce mm. from this other, I think, country song star. And I think they've had like dueling breakup narratives. Mm. But she like did a whole concept album with a whole like music video to tie in with it about specifically the dissolution of her marriage that came out like a year and a half ago, two years ago. Okay, yeah. So I think what I liked about it is while, yes, this is very explicitly inspired by Taylor Swift and there were clearly a lot of allusions to her song writing, I do think part of the reason this felt so not creepy to me is the fact that I felt like the authors tried to encompass a lot of the significant moments of pop star pain that Mm -hmm. have been turned into music by people other than just Taylor Swift. Right, right, right. Yes. Mm -hmm. So as somebody who is more into pop culture than I have any right to be, (laughs) Like picking up on that stuff. It didn't feel like a critique of Taylor Swift or her viewpoint or anything other than the way her songs make people think about what her life could be. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that was the thing too. reading Riley's perspective. I didn't think, oh, this this must be what this pop star actually feels like. Right. You know, I don't know. I mean, I genuinely think the only thing that like. You could say was explicitly Taylor Swift in this book beyond the career stuff is the fact that she is very close to her mom and her parents got divorced when she was an adult. There you go. Like, which is so universal an experience that I don't view it as voyeuristic. I do have a quick question for you, Lane. Yeah. So in the book, there are a couple of songs that Mm. are that are referenced. So songs that Riley has written. Um, what did you think of the lyrics? I did not think it was distractingly bad. Yep. Same for me. I wasn't like, I didn't, I wasn't like, oh my God, people are think this is the song of the summer. Right. (laughs) Right. Like it could have been fine. It was fine. So I wasn't, we've talked about how sometimes when writers talk about writing and they have to write. Yeah. 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 I didn't hate it here. And at the end, they actually had the full song, which I thought was interesting. I think they just wanted to show that, like, hey, we we actually wrote this song or we wrote these lyrics for the song. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just these like little snippets that we we didn't just like make up little snippets for the for the book. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was fun. Yeah, actually. And not it cringe. was. It was not cringe. Yes, exactly. Which is, to be 100 percent honest, very high praise. <laughs> it really it sounds damning but no it's i nope. was not distracted at any point because of yep. the inclusion of the lyrics exactly content warnings lane she is a woman in the public eye yep yep and all of the bullshit that clearly comes with that was prevalent yes Yes, a lot of, you know, a lot of references to online misogyny and how, yes, she loves her fans, but she can sometimes, you know, feel maybe frightened in public. And even the way that people who are supposedly on her team 
yes. were willing to exploit her real life yeah. in a way she wasn't comfortable with. And she was comfortable right. with quite a bit in a way that the book didn't explicitly get into, but implicitly I felt like was only something that would happen to a woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do think that it's unlikely that any of this would be triggering, but you know, if if you're particularly sensitive to it, be aware. Oh, um, and she and her mother are both going through divorces mm-hmm. in the book, I, I guess. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, FYI. Which could just be a thing somebody's not in the mood to read right now. Yeah. Uh, Sexiness Lane. There were two explicit scenes and, like, one kiss. I found it a little bit florid. So, you know, like, it didn't feel immediate and in the moment, which I thought was surprising because of how the rest of her character was written. I don't know. It's interesting, though, because I I do think the sex scenes were as prosy as everything else she did. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this book, dare I say, I almost wish the sex scenes hadn't been there. Mm. Not that they weren't terrible or anything, but I don't really think they added anything. The the okay so the the first sex there there were two sex scenes the first one was uh, entirely from Max's perspective and it was fine it was fine I, I could have done without it the breakthrough happened right before the sex scene so the right. sex scene was just like the cherry on top of an emotional thing that had already happened right and it they, it just wasn't particularly sexy in my opinion I agree. Uh, the second sex scene, I did feel like it served the plot a little more. I, but... I guess, but the, maybe this just comes down to, I didn't feel like these books had much heat. Yeah. So the sex scenes didn't feel like the culmination of something that had been building. Like this book had a lot of pining and a lot of emotional angst. And so like, frankly, the songwriting sessions of feelings and redemption felt earned in a way the sex didn't. Yeah. You know, I, I agree with you. I agree. There was something missing for me in the sex scenes, and it wasn't the fact that it wasn't sexy. Like, they were explicit. But I don't know. They, yeah, were, just, they were explicit, but not erotic. Yeah, I agree. They It, it wasn't so far as, like, make me uncomfortable. They weren't no. bad. I want to no. be clear. But Absolutely. these two they, characters, it, it did not feel like, yes, finally pay off. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyway, I don't know if if I will say this, if this is the kind of book that you usually like, like if you like contemporary romance, uh, first person present point of view, like if you like celebrity romance, I think you'll probably like this book. I think yes. it honestly just was a little bit out of our comfort zone in general. It's not something that we would generally pick up. Uh, and again, I did enjoy it more than I expected. I agree with everything you said, and I don't know if I'm being too nitpicky. Ultimately, I liked that these characters were 30 and they didn't feel 30. Does that make sense? It does. It does. It makes sense. Yeah. So I totally recommend, and I think if you are a Taylor Swift fangirl or a pop culture stan, there will be little moments in here for you to be like, haha, that's a Taylor Swift song title, and I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that can be a fun game for your 14-year-old daughter. I don't know. Or me. <laughs> if if you're uh, comfortable letting your 14-year-old daughter read, you know, these kind of sexy scenes. 
Mm. Thank you guys so much for listening.